0: Hey guys, it's Alana and welcome back for another episode of Seeing Other People. I woke up today and I was like, yes, it's Friday, this is amazing. And then I looked at my phone and it was Tuesday. And that's a really big difference and i have been like all over the place this week i spent 30 minutes looking for something like turning my apartment upside down for this freaking nail glue because i've been doing like the press on nails which i'm obsessed with um i literally turned my apartment upside down for 30 minutes and it was on my table not only was it on my kitchen table but it was the only thing on my table and that is kind of just how i've been for the last few days i've feel like we're in such a crazy time of summer where we want to relax and we wanna enjoy and you know like rejuvenate ourselves and chill and enjoy the summer fun and all that. And I've just been like going nonstop and I have eight episode recordings this week. I have a sinus infection. Again, yes, I'm always sick. We know, we know, I know. Everyone knows. Um, and I'm really glad that I don't sound super nasally because if I was literally doing this two days ago i it would not have worked um but thankful for Medrite urgent care gave me like four different prescriptions and i can kind of breathe and sound a little normal but yeah i've been all over the place today's not friday unless if you're listening to this on a friday i'm so glad i'm so happy for you it is friday um i think this is so interesting and something i wanted to bring up so i as you guys know i like didn't used to listen to podcasts and now i'm really trying to just because i feel like there is so much to learn and obviously like podcast is a huge part of my life um, and my career and all that and for a while I really didn't want to because I didn't want to ever try and be like anyone else or try and you know mimic what someone else's show was doing I really wanted seeing other people to be me and from my heart and for all of you guys from everything that I know from connecting with you and, and what you need to hear and so, for a long time, I really didn't listen to podcasts, but I have been diving into them lately. And something really interesting happened where two people um, who are pretty big released podcasts. So, Tinks released a podcast about female friendships, a podcast episode on It's Me Tinks. And I listened to that one. And then Emma Chamberlain, who I had never listened to any of her stuff before, and I had like an hour long like subway ride yesterday to go to a birthday dinner, and it was at Vix in Soho. If you haven't been, amazing. Um, I ended up somehow on Spotify on Emma Chamberlain's podcast. I think it's called Anything Goes, and I saw that she had an episode about female friendships, and I was like, hmm, this is kind of interesting. Like, may as well hear her take. And okay. Tinks' episode and Emma's episode and their opinions on it were literally night and day. And it was so interesting to just hear about one topic and hear two completely opposing viewpoints. And I know exactly which one I relate to. And I am so curious. Like I want every single one of my friends to listen to both of them and tell me what they relate to. I'm totally going to like do this as a poll on the stories too. But it's just so interesting to hear such different Views on the same exact topic. And I can only imagine what it would be like if, like, Tinks and Emma got in a room and talked about it. Um, if you're not going to listen, which I'm sure 90% of you are not, Tinks' whole thing was like, female friendships are everything. They're the most empowering, they're the most sacred and special. And, um, you know, they've carried her through life. And and without her female friendships, like, where would she be? And they're the most important things to maintain and to kind of grow and, and nourish and, and all that. Um, and Emma's was that most of her female friendships have been filled with toxicity and and jealousy and um, competition. And that was really interesting to hear. And, and starting, she like went back to like middle school and then carried it through like with dating guys and all this stuff. And it was just very interesting. And, and like I said, I know exactly which one I feel more connected to. Um, but it was just so one of those things where it's like, that it is so important to listen to different people's perspectives and, and learn about different sides to things because, you know, I was listening to one of them and I was like, this just doesn't really resemble my experience and is there something wrong with me for not feeling this way about my female friendships and then to hear another viewpoint on it and be like, oh, no, I, I do resonate with that. Like that does feel like what I've experienced. um It was really like affirming to me. Um, and also nice to feel that I wasn't alone in in that. But I, that's also kind of like what we do here, you know, with sharing different viewpoints and, and bringing experts on to talk about things that they're actually experts in and then having people come on and share their personal experiences. And it it really just tied it together for me. So I like listening to podcasts now, I guess. If you guys have any recommendations, let me know. Anywho, today's episode is a really wonderful, powerful impactful one. There is so much to learn from today's guest. We have Dr. Elizabeth Fedrick. She is a licensed professional counselor and is trained in various therapeutic models, including CBT and child child parent psychotherapy. And um, she has a doctorate and a master's in professional counseling. She works with um, specializes in depression, anxiety, trauma, relationship issues, attachment, grief, loss, life transitions, personal improvement. Um, And she is so smart and such an expert on all things related to how our upbringing impacts our patterns in our relationships and, you know, how the way we grew up impacts us and how we are choosing partners and this concept of rel- relational programming and how we're programmed in a certain way growing up. But there's good news to that, that we can reprogram ourselves. So I am feel like I'm botching all of these amazing things that she knows about. So I'm going to get into the episode so we can hear her talk about all these amazing things. But Dr. Elizabeth Fedrick, also, I cannot stress this enough. You guys have to follow her on Instagram. She has such an amazing account with so many posts that I really feel like are going to hit home for you guys, like exactly when you need them. Her handle is at Dr. Elizabeth Fedrick. And I'll, of course, have that tagged in the show notes and on the story. If you're not following Seeing Other People on Instagram, please follow at Seeing Other People and um, share this episode with a friend, give a five-star rating and review. Don't forget, we have dating profile revamps and emotional support human sessions that you can book if you want one-on-one dating help with me, your girl, Alana. So you can do all of that in the show notes. Um, you can do all that in the link in my Instagram. And yeah, let's get into it. Let's bring her in. Today's episode is brought to you by Jack Pocket. I love to daydream about how many fun date nights, vacations, adventures I would go on if I had extra cash in my pocket. And now it's easier than ever to win big without having to leave your couch. And if you guys know anything about me, you know that I hate leaving my couch. It's also very comfy. Jackpocket is the app that lets you play official state lottery games right on your phone. Order tickets for the Powerball, Mega Millions, and more, all with the tap of a button get automatic rewards when you win, and receive prizes right through the app. Jackpocket players have already won over $150 million in lottery prizes, and now is your chance. It's also my chance, and you bet that I have been taking it. Get a free lottery ticket when you try Jackpocket. Just go to jackpocket.com to get the app and use code PEOPLE on your first order. That's jackpocket.com, code PEOPLE. Download the app and get your free ticket. Must be 18 or older to play. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Please visit jackpocket.com slash TOS for full terms of service. Okay, and we are here in the episode with Liz, Dr. Elizabeth Fedrick. Liz, welcome to Seeing Other People. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here with you. I love these topics. And I love that you're here because this is a topic the, and, and these are topics, everything we're going to talk about that I think is so important. And it's stuff that I've kind of dabbled in and touched on with other guests, but not really gone like full force into exploring and and learning about. So I'm really, really grateful to have you here. I would love to start by just getting to know how you got into this field and and decided that this is something you wanted to pursue.
1: Sure, absolutely. So in my early 20s, I was actually doing retail management. And so a lot of the individuals I worked with were younger females um, who would share a lot of their stories. And I noticed a lot of themes with that. And so that just kind of got me interested in wanting to work with the more adolescent population, you know, as young teens usually are older teens, but the teenage population that was working in retail. And so um, that's kind of what sparked my interest. And so when I first got into the field, I was actually working. I specialized with children and adolescents and my passion, my goal was really about breaking the cycle, which that is still the passion that remains. But as I continue to evolve in my career, I recognized that I was wanting to work with the kids and adolescents because I wanted to get to them before you know, they developed some of these unhealthy patterns that we see in adult relationships, but I started to recognize I have to actually go to the parent. I have to go to the adult in that home and start making changes with them so that they're able to role model that for their kids, um, and so over time, that's, I've transitioned to uh, my dissertation for my doctorate was in attachment theory, and so I've just evolved into that working specializing in specializing in relationships, um, attachment, trauma, and all that comes along with that.
0: Wow, that's so fascinating to me. And I know that's a lot of what we're going to talk about today is like how, you know, our upbringing and how our, our how the way we're raised, like impacts how we date and show up in relationships. But I think there's just there's so much there. And I think that's so fascinating that you ended up like, realizing that, working with a child isn't necessarily always enough sometimes it it really does go back to the parents and that's something I mean as someone who like I do like hope to have children maybe in like the next like five ten years whatever it is um sure. nobody nobody hold me to that number that just came <laughs> out of my head yeah <laughs> your, your parents are grasping onto that one <laughs> oh yeah oh yeah um it's something that I'm I'm constantly thinking about with like just raising children and, and wanting to do it the right way. And of course, everybody who has a child wants to raise them the right way, but we're, all we can do is the best we can do. And and sometimes we might not be setting that child up for success, um, or we might think we are and, and we're not. So I'm definitely curious, you know, how does our upbringing, and this is obviously a huge question, but like, how does our... Now a word from our sponsor, BetterHelp. When you're dating, it can be so easy to get caught up in the stress and anxiety of every situation. Why aren't they communicating? Why didn't they text me back? Am I getting ghosted? Why is this happening again? Why can't someone commit? I've asked myself all of these questions too, more times than I can count. You wouldn't believe what happens when you approach these situations with a different mindset and focus on solutions instead of problems. Whether you want to be a better problem solver or a better dater, therapy can get you there. Visit BetterHelp.com slash other people today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp.com slash other people. I have to give a quick shout out to Anchor. If you don't know about Anchor, it's Spotify's podcast platform, and it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Trust me. Let me tell you why. First of all, it's free, and you know I love free. Second of all, their creation tools allow you to record and edit your podcast directly from your phone or computer. What could be easier than that? Anchor also distributes your podcast for you, so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple, and anywhere else you want it played. You can also make money from your podcast, no matter how few downloads you get regularly. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Hope you love today's episode. Upbringing impact our patterns in relationships.
1: Yes, such an important question. You're absolutely right. There's a very broad answer, but I will kind of summarize and and we can go from there. I call it it relational programming when I'm working with my clients. And the idea behind relational programming is that all of our interactions with our caregivers, starting in utero and then starting in infancy and um, really through birth to five is really formative. And then it solidifies from there on out. And these interactions that we're having so whether our parents are warm attentive nurturing whether they're abusive or chaotic aggressive and wherever they might fall anywhere you know along the spectrum of that all of these interactions are highly influential to what we start to perceive as normal and the template that we develop and so that's where i bring in the programming term because when you think about computer programming or coding you know the the input is going to impact the output. And so these experiences that we had with our caregivers really sets the tone for what we what's familiar to us in adulthood. And so what we seek out, but also what we're willing to tolerate and what we just think is normal. Um, So that's just in a nutshell, kind of how those, you know, experiences really influence what happens into adulthood.
0: Yeah. And how can you, like is this something that most people should be able to like figure out for themselves or like, obviously like we hear about attachment theory and we can figure out, Oh, like I'm anxiously attached, like, or whatever it is. But is this something that like, is there a way to kind of make corrections for yourself as you go, like as you get older and and realize how it's impacting you?
1: Absolutely. And that is, what I am most passionate about when I talk about this topic is the hope for change and the, the ability to reprogram. So if we were programmed in a certain way, that means that it's not innate. We were not born that way. We were not born with anxious attachment with avoidant attachment. Um, It was something that was instilled and something that was, our brains were wired in response to. And so if that's the case, then that also means that we can reprogram, we can rewire. And so there absolutely is hope. As you're asking though, should people just know this? Well, unfortunately, no, because it's just, it's our norm. It's what we think is normal. It's what's familiar and it's our autopilot. And so a lot of people don't even stop to assess like, what's my role in this? What's going on here that I continue to run into these same patterns or show up in the same way and so no the self-awareness is the key starting point to start to reprogram
0: and I feel like the hardest part about that is we don't become really self-aware until there's like an extreme or there's some really like traumatic event that happens that we're like oh my god like I didn't know I could possibly be this anxious or I've like pushed every possible relationship away like wow like there's something wrong with me for doing that and i feel like that's when we kind of take a step back and we're like wait what's going on and i feel like every time i've heard somebody talk about you know their attachment style or wanting to kind of change it or whatever it's not until after they've gone through something and realized that that might have impacted them
1: Right. And, and that's so true. And the unfortunate part is that a lot of people will go through those big things and still just think. These interactions with our caregivers also form what we call core beliefs. And so when you think about core beliefs, it's just the way we view the world. So if you think about you're wearing glasses that have purple lenses and I'm wearing glasses that have green lenses, We could look at the same tree, but the tree is going to be purple for you and it's going to be green for me. And so that's the same. That's how our core beliefs really influence how we see the world and how we see ourselves and other people. And so unfortunately, even when these big events happen, sometimes because we're just looking through this lens of what's normal to us, we don't even stop to assess like, huh, maybe this is not the way it's supposed to be. Maybe there's a different option. Um, And so that's when people really stay stuck in the cycle.
0: Definitely. So one thing that comes to mind, I want to kind of get into like, based on all of this, how does it impact how we choose partners? And the first thing that it kind of made me think of is this like, common phrase of like, Oh, well, they have like mommy issues or daddy issues. And I'm so curious, like, if all of this is connected.
1: And yes, it is. So that is because of um, what is familiar to us with those caregivers. We form something called our adaptive child. Um, The adaptive child is the concept that we form these adaptive behaviors to survive that environment. And I think it's really important to note that this doesn't have to be, you know, I work with clients all the time. When I talk to other therapists, they say the same thing. We have people come in all the time that are like, I had a fine childhood. Everything was fine. I wasn't abused. I had a roof over my head. You know, and all of those basic necessities were met. But then when we dig deeper, there might have been emotional neglect. Maybe no one was home with them after school. No one was sitting there helping them do their homework, snuggling them before bed. Some of these really basic attachment needs that they didn't have can influence you into adulthood in the same way as if you grew up in an abusive or chaotic household. And so that is a piece of information that's really helpful for people to gain awareness around. But then, yes, as you're saying, you know, if we had a partner who maybe they weren't or a parent who maybe they weren't abusive, but they also were not emotionally present, that's going to we're going to commonly seek that out into adulthood because that's what feels like our uncomfortable comfort zone it's just what we know um so yes we do get influenced by those earlier experiences um the whole daddy issue thing i I mean as a fellow female you can probably there's some offensiveness to that for sure um but i make sure to point out to my male clients you probably are suffering from mommy issues so this goes both ways
0: yeah for sure It's so interesting, the point you brought up of like, you could have had a really like good, stable, loving childhood, but that there are things that were missing from it that lead you to feel like that's the like, it's just, it's so there's so many levels to it. Because like, that's kind of how I felt like I had a very, very wonderful, stable childhood, I felt very loved. And like this, I've even talked about this in therapy, like trying to figure out if that had anything to do with like my anxiety and especially my anxiety when it came to dating and choosing the wrong people. And I think what we were able to kind of conclude was that in my case, it really didn't have anything to do with my childhood. And it, because my anxiety and my like very severe, like anxious attachment came after a terrible, like toxic relationship that I was in where Mm -hmm. after that relationship, I continued to try and date people who would make me feel the way that this guy did, who wouldn't be able to commit to me, who would not be able to give me what I needed and, and what I deserved. But because maybe like subconsciously I was trying to like prove to myself that like, no, I can win one of these people over. But like, in the meantime, this is what's comfortable because this is what I'm used to and what I know. And so for me, in terms of like those negative core beliefs that you mentioned, like, it took a few years for me to realize like, no, like I deserve so much more and I shouldn't have to feel this way. And I shouldn't have to keep going for people that are making me feel this way and making me act this way and think these things. But that again, like it was a really, really painful few years of of going through all that.
1: Yeah, yeah. And you're right that those relationships can certainly influence. Um, When I do when I work with clients on this topic, we do we start with a timeline in the first couple sessions and we start at birth and we go to present day over a span of probably about two sessions. And we talk about significant events that took place during that time so that we can start to track themes and we can really understand what are these beliefs that people are operating on. Um, And so to your point, sometimes those significant events are abusive relationships. They are negative experiences that we had that weren't necessarily directly with our parents. However, what I would kind of dig into, and I'm sure your therapist did a beautiful job at doing this, but as you're talking about that, I would be curious when, you know, going through your timeline of looking at some of those earlier events that why did that first relationship seem acceptable or appealing to you to begin with? Like what, what about Mm. it drew you to it? And then what, what about your earlier life experiences allowed you to tolerate it? And so, well, you could have had a wonderful childhood and I do not doubt that there were likely some experiences that did influence choosing that partner.
0: Yeah, that's a really good point. And I'm curious as to like what those are. I I haven't gone there yet. Maybe I will, we'll see. Um, (laughs) but So in, 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 with that point brought up, like, how can people, I mean, I, I, the majority of my listeners, you know, are, are in their twenties, thirties, and ideally want to meet somebody and, you know, start families. So like that in mind, how can we best set ourselves and our future children up for success? Because of course, like I said in the beginning, like we can only do the best we can do, but it seems like there's so many things that you don't even realize could have severe impacts on your children and, and things that happen to us and stuff. So what, like, what is the workaround or solution for that? Well, first and foremost, I just
1: want to normalize that we're imperfect humans raising imperfect humans. And so there's never, there's always going to be some perp. There's going to be, probably some traumas. There's going to be, that is not completely avoidable, but what is most important is not necessarily the rupture that happens in a relationship, but the repair. And so when I'm working with parents and they're talking about, I yelled at my kid again, I'm going to screw them up in the same way my parents screwed me up. And what we talk about is the difference, hopefully with my clients, what I'm trying to encourage them to do is that they're going to seek out their child and they're going to repair The damage that had been done. So they are going to talk about what they own in that situation, and they're going to apologize for their part of it. And that in and of itself is really powerful that a lot of us didn't receive. And so even if we're not doing everything perfect, we can can treat it differently. Um, But I would say from a big picture standpoint, I really encourage a lot of people to start reading. So Attached by Levine and Heller, uh, Healing Your Attachment Wounds by Dan- Diane Polheller. Um, and then also Running on Empty by Joni's Web. So those three books, I really encourage people to start with because it helps to understand like what is your attachment style, how did your upbringing influence that, and then you get to kind of start making changes from there.
0: And totally, that makes a lot of sense, and and I feel like I like that you pointed out like the okay, what happens next? Like you yelled, you got into this argument, this fight, but that doesn't have to be the end of it there can be this next step and i think i mean that obviously ties perfectly into relationships and what happens when we get in fights and get in arguments with our partners and or even not even before someone's our partner even just somebody that you're going on dates with or there's a miscommunication and i think such a big thing is that we're never really taught how to communicate and how to have these hard conversations and that's something that i feel like it's every single episode I end up, it ends up going back to communication Mm. and more so our lack of communication and our lack of communication skills and problem solving skills. Um, and I'm curious, I guess, just what you've seen in terms of that. If you are anything like me and you are going on a date, you're probably like, nervous, but also excited, but just like really want to have a good time, don't want to screw anything up. And you get like the pre-date jitters. Um, For me, there were two things that I would do to help with those pre-date jitters. I would always call a friend for a little pump up speech. And I would also take a happy gummy from Mindset Wellness CBD before my date. It would help me stay in the right mood, being excited, being present, but it would also take away that layer of nerves that was going to stop me from being my best self. the date. I love the happy gummies. They are incredible. They taste great. They don't make you feel high or anything like that. They just make you feel like the best version of yourself. So try them today. Definitely recommend trying them before a date. Mindsetwellnesscbd.com. Use code seeing other people at checkout that will get you 20% off and free shipping.
1: Yes, you're right. We can't be good at anything that we weren't taught, anything that we weren't shown. There wasn't When we learn how to play a sport, we're told how to do it. We're shown how to do it. We practice doing it. Most of us did not receive that in childhood when it comes to communication or healthy relationships. And so absolutely. Um, So with that, though, the communication piece is really important. And knowing how to express yourself, be assertive, knowing how to also receive what someone else is telling you without being defensive or reactive to that. And when somebody, when people are first starting to date, those basic skills are really valuable. So practicing being able to set boundaries, to say what you like and don't like, and then also being able to receive that. As the relationship progresses, though, the communication in and of itself only gets you so far. And at that point, it's important to start understanding what I call um, each other's raw parts. And that that's our traumas, our previous experiences, the the situations that lead to the triggers Um, because it's really in those moments of being triggered that your partner has two choices. They can either get angry and get triggered back. And we know that's how the toxic cycle starts, or they can recognize, Oh, you're feeling triggered right now. What can I do to help you regulate before we talk about this? That's a powerful game changer.
0: Yeah. And I'm glad you brought up um, just this concept of, of, like feeling triggered because and I know there's, there's actually some stuff that you've posted on your Instagram that I kind of wanted to talk about. And one of those things you wrote, um, just because you felt triggered doesn't mean your partner actually did something wrong. A huge part of healing is learning to to differentiate what feels like a threat versus what actually is a threat. And I think that's so important. and, And everything you said is so important, because I feel like and I'm curious if you feel the same, the word triggered is thrown around so much now yeah. in situations that it does not belong in. And, you know, somebody can see like a- anything anywhere at any time people are just like, Oh, like that's so triggering. or like, Oh, I'm so triggered by like that post. And it's like, yes, they might actually be, but I feel like it's one of these things that has become so overused that it almost takes away from the experience that people have when they actually are really triggered by something. And I feel like that's just something that our, our society, our, our social media culture has done. And that is such a disservice to people who actually need to figure out what their triggers are. And like you said, like learn to differentiate what feels like a threat versus what actually is a threat.
1: Yeah. And the other part of that, that I completely agree with what you're saying. The other part of that, that is so common is that these triggers are used as an excuse to act in any way that people deem appropriate at that moment. So they're, you know, act completely inappropriate. And then, oh, well, sorry, I was triggered. And and that is what I'm noticing even more when I do couples work that comes up frequently and so, yes, it is, it is overused and it is really watering down the the whole point of the importance of expressing that you're feeling triggered. That when if everything triggers as it's the boy who cried wolf, like then what really matters? And the other piece of this is that you can feel triggered, but it's your responsibility to learn how to manage those triggers. And so it's your responsibility to learn how to regulate, to behave appropriately, to Whatever coping skills you need to do, so that that trigger does not control you and does not influence your relationships. That's the piece that people are missing. You can be triggered all day long. It's still your job to do something about it.
0: Yeah, literally. The next thing I had written down in my notes after that was um, what you posted. Feeling triggered is never an appropriate justification for inappropriate behaviors. And yes. I like. I'm gonna I'm gonna repost that. I want to repost that every day. <laughs> um, but so, how can people go about? Determining what their real triggers are and I mean that's step one and then step two is you know openly communicating with their partner about those things.
1: Yes, and so that is where a lot of the so the timeline which. Great to do with a therapist, but I tell people all the time, if you're not working with a therapist and you're just interested in your, the own themes of your life, you can do the timeline by yourself, identifying things such as abandonment, rejection, not feeling good enough, not feeling accepted. These are some of the core things you can Google uh, negative core beliefs and get a whole list and you can start to identify the events that have led to those beliefs. And so that's first and foremost, when we talk about self-awareness, you have to know what type of events make your body react in a certain way but then the other part of that is so the three w's i work with my clients on is what's going on so we have to start checking in on the physiological responses in our body when we're triggered our bodies react to that because the amygdala sends out hormones neurotransmitters our body goes into that fight or flight anytime that we're triggered the amygdala is designed to store sensory memory And so sensory memory means that you can experience something today that is vastly different than the trauma that actually happened. But if there's any sensory component that's similar, that will trigger your nervous system. And so when that happens, your body, whether it's a stomach ache or chest tightens, you'll you'll have a physiological response. And being aware of that response is crucial in starting to manage your triggers. And the second W is where is it coming from? So you take time to assess did something happen? Am I anxious about something coming up? And the third W being, what do I need? And that's when you're going to step in and regulate it. That's when you're going to not allow it to be projected onto your partner. And so you can recognize whatever your partner just said, maybe it was their tone of voice, their facial expression, created this reaction in your body. You can also ask your partner for a minute, like, hey, can I just have a second to just take a breath? Because my body's having a reaction right now, and then, then I really want to talk about this conversation. That is within your circle of control. That is your responsibility.
0: What about when it comes to figuring out if you're tr- feeling triggered, or you're you're having this emotional reaction, whatever it is, because of something that is part of you and how you're handling the situation or how you're feeling, or if it's something that this other person is kind of having you feel or if it's about something that they're doing, because I think that's a huge part in kind of determining like if a relationship is healthy or unhealthy, like, is it coming from you? And is it stuff that was happening to you before this other person was in the picture? Or is it happening more? Is it happening with the other person? Like, how can you kind of differentiate that like where it's coming from?
1: Yeah, and tracking can be really helpful for what you're describing. So if you're in a relationship, I encourage people, you know, pay attention to how your body feels before, during, and after interactions. So if, you, if you're in a new relationship and you notice a shift in your mood states, all of a sudden you're feeling more anxious, feeling more depressed, it's likely that there is something about that dynamic that's creating it. And so starting to track what these interactions are like and what they do to your body can help you to increase some awareness around this because it's not mutually exclusive so your partner could engage in a behavior that is triggering to you it doesn't necessarily mean anyone's right anyone's wrong obviously if it's an inherently inappropriate behavior then of course but then stepping back and really assessing did what my partner do was that in actually something inherently wrong? Were they intentionally trying to hurt me? Or did they get stuck late at work because their boss is driving them really hard for a project? That's not about you. And so that's a big way you can start to differentiate is like just taking a step back and assessing is the behavior an attack on me? Or is it just something that happened that's creating this trigger?
0: Yeah, I think that's really, really smart, because there are so many times where we take things so personally, and we look for meaning and we try and, you know, put the blame on someone else and say, like, well, it's their fault that that this happened. And it could literally have nothing to do with us. And, you know, we always end up in situations where we're like, Oh, well, like, I'm stuck at work. I'm like, there's nothing there's nothing we can do about it sometimes. And it might have literally nothing to do with the other person. Yeah. all but we don't know that the other person is sitting there like overthinking going absolutely crazy feeling so anxious trying to define meaning to it trying to decide if it's a personal attack are we really stuck at work or are we out on a date with somebody else or are we just forgetting to go home to them forgetting that we had plans like and that's I think where it goes back to communication and and Mm -hmm. even for that person who is you know feeling anxious feeling triggered from it saying like Hey, I trust you that you're at work, but I I just need to know like can like or can you let me know in the future if you think you're going to end up getting stuck at work because I was really looking forward to seeing you and um it just it's it's hard for me to whatever I'm I'm explaining yes. this so poorly but just saying how you're feeling no you're saying it exactly right
1: and it's about that if the if that behavior is bothering you. It is your responsibility to set a boundary or express a need. That is always your responsibility within a relationship. Your partner is not a mind reader. And so if there's something that you don't like, you can either set that boundary or you can say, hey, I totally understand that you keep getting stuck late. Would you mind just sending me a text or would you mind giving me a quick phone call just so that I can touch base with you? That is completely appropriate response to that. But I think something that's important is to track some of the patterns with this. Because if your partner's getting stuck late at work all of the time, maybe that truly is the nature of their career. Maybe that's not suitable for you. Maybe that isn't gonna work for you. And you're allowed you're allowed to say that. You're allowed to say you're, what you're doing is not inherently wrong, but it's also not compatible with what I want. And so this is not a good match.
0: Absolutely. And I think where people struggle with that is feeling like, well, they have this person and there's potential. And if only they had another job or another career path, like they could make it work. And is it worth, you know, starting over? But the answer is yes, if this is not working for you, like you don't have to be in a relationship where you feel terrible all the time. Yeah.
1: Yep. And that's, it's, it comes down to acceptance or change technically you can say acceptance and change but i'm going to address it from acceptance or change so if there's something about your partner that you don't like they work a lot of hours you knew this coming into the relationship nothing has changed you're in the relationship and you're feeling rejected because of it if that's who they are you get to choose okay i'm i can just i'll change on my end i'll make myself busier in the evenings i'll spend more time with my friends you can accept that that's who they are or you can say this isn't going to work for me. But the bottom line is you're not powerless. And that's where a lot of people get caught up in relationships is they feel, well, I'm powerless. They they just do whatever they want. I'm supposed to be okay with it. No, you can accept it or you can leave. It's all within your circle.
0: Yeah. This really reminds me of, um, and I don't know if you're familiar with her, but tanks, she has this um, fatal flaw theory for anyone who's listening where it's about you know, every single one of your friends is always going to have something that rubs you the wrong way or really bothers you or you just don't agree with. And you can let it eat you alive and bother you forever, or you can accept it and know that, okay, they, this friend has this one fatal flaw and I love them for everything else that they are. And, you know, whenever they do this thing or say this thing, I'm just going to let it slide because I have made the choice to accept it and still be friends with this person. And I think that kind of really ties in with what you're saying just about, you can accept it, or you can do something and change the situation for yourself. And that's Yeah, like, it's not to say they were doing anything wrong. But sometimes relationships just don't work out. And that doesn't mean that you didn't try your hardest. That doesn't mean you didn't fight for it. It just means that maybe there's something better for you or something that's a better fit or you're going to feel better in. And yeah. it's 100% worth giving yourself the opportunity to find that.
1: And that's where that tracking becomes so valuable that if you do notice a shift in your moods in this relationship, for you to start tracking each day at the end of the day, how did I feel today? What were some of the events that happened that impacted my mood? Because after doing that for a couple of weeks, maybe even a month, If you look back and assess like, okay, no, this is, I have objective evidence here that what's happening in my relationship five days a week is creating anxiety for me. That is information you can do something with. So you can either say, okay, so what can I do to start to shift this? Or this relationship just doesn't work. But people get so caught up in their heads, as you're saying, with the potential and the what ifs. and, And so they just stay stuck because they don't feel like they have another option.
0: Yeah. And I think this, this obviously is so important with relationships, but it totally relates like every other aspect of our lives. You know, I, I've talked recently how I'm like finally doing the podcast full time and, um, ended all of my like freelance things that I've been doing for the last two years. And that's something I've worked really hard to get to, but I was in this one freelance situation for a really long time that I was feeling so anxious and stressed and overwhelmed every single day and it was completely impacting my mood. It was impacting my sleep. It was impacting everything, but I didn't feel like I could leave for some reason. I didn't have a signed contract that I was gonna stay for X number of months or years, whatever, I just felt... Stuck in it because leaving sometimes seems like a really hard thing to do. And it took me seeing one of my friends really struggling at work and feeling really miserable and really anxious and really terrible all the time, and me wishing that they would quit their job and find one that made them happier and more fulfilled and less stressed. And finally, I was like, wait a second. Well, I can't control if they leave their job. But wait a second, I feel the same way. And I can leave. And that actually pushed me to walk away from this. And it felt really empowering for me to make that choice. And, you know, not allow myself to feel like that every day. And so I think that's so important. And, and that is so true with with any relationship, or even as early as a dating situation. That's why I love this idea of tracking that you brought up. And that's something I don't think has really been talked about on on the show but I think it's so helpful anytime you start dating someone new I've definitely noticed in past dating experiences before I met Jake that I would start feeling so much anxiety and I would question every single text that they sent and you know I would just I would need like I would need that date to be planned so I knew they wanted to see me again and like it was literally it took me again like this comparison concept of like I was going on dates with this one guy who I was so anxious about I could not stop overthinking every single thing it was literally keeping me up at night driving me so crazy and then I started going on dates with Jake who I've now been with for a year and a half and I was so calm and felt really good and it was easy and comfortable and one of my friends was like Alana do you even like guy number one I'm like well (laughs) why does that matter if he doesn't like me? Like, I need to know if he likes me. And they're like, Anna, do you like him? I'm like, why does that matter if he doesn't like me? And like, do you hear yourself? You literally can't say you like this guy. And I was like, oh my God, you're right. Um, so I just think that's something that like, had I paid attention to how anxious I was getting and how worked up I was getting and how bad I was feeling about it, like I could have removed myself from that situation and saved myself all of that pain.
1: Absolutely. And one of my favorite quotes is that you're only as needy as your unmet needs. And so when people are feeling needy and they're like, I I just can't get enough attention, can't get enough attention. But then when they get into relationships with the Jakes of the world, right, who are attentive and I'm sure he's a wonderful human, hence the reason you were able to feel calm it's like a total game changer because we constantly feel like there's something wrong with us in the wrong environment. When we're in the right environment, we can feel at peace and we can feel calm and I can completely relate with what you're saying. That is something that, in somebody I was dating recently, there just wasn't enough time. There was just never enough time. So I always felt so needy. I'm the least needy person in the entire world. And so I'm like, okay, what is going on here? And so at that point it was acceptance or change. And, and so now when I talk to new people, that's one of the first things I'm very aware of, like, what does your schedule look like? What is your availability like? Um, Because now I have that awareness that that triggers something in me that doesn't feel good.
0: I am so obsessed with that quote. You're only as needy as your unmet needs. And I want everyone to like write that down in their notes on their phone or journal or whatever it is. Like that is so incredible. And I think that's something that we feel, we, we're so hard on ourselves sometimes being like, well, why why am I, am I asking for too much? And the answer nine out of 10 times is no. Right. You're just asking for what you need. And if that's not being met, you're not going to feel good. But it's, it's so okay to have needs. We all have needs, but there's this concept of like, oh, well, he's needy. She's needy. Like, oh, I don't want to be too needy. So I need to act super chill and like, everything's okay. But while you're acting chill and like, everything's okay. You're feeling terrible.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And resentments are building, which then are just, the relationship is bound to rupture when you're not being attentive and respectful to your needs, because you're right. We all have needs. It's like, if nothing, if people take away nothing else today, please let's just normalize. We all have needs and it's okay to expect your needs to be met. That is totally appropriate. And to take it a step further, there's somebody who will be very happy to meet your needs. You just haven't found the right person yet. If you've been feeling needy.
0: Yeah. And if, the, per- the people you are dating aren't meeting those needs, change. Move it along. <laughs> Don't accept yeah. it. Do not accept it. Change. <laughs> exactly. There's something so much better out there for you. Like, I can't yes. stress that enough. Um, so, okay. I'm super curious, um, about determining if you're in, a healthy or unhealthy relationship. And I know this is something we could talk about forever, but I, I just, I feel like often people have a really difficult time recognizing that they're in an unhealthy relationship. Mm-hmm. And so I'm wondering if the way to approach it is by asking yourself if you're in a healthy relationship and being able to answer those questions. What do you think of, of all of that?
1: Yeah, so I would take it back to the tracking, but in addition to the mood states, I would add some other components in. So I would add in uh, how much did conflict take place that day? At one through 10, how explosive was that conflict? How many times did you break up this week? How many times did, you know, whatever some of these themes are that might be in the relationship um, to gain some awareness around that as well. And so not only are you tracking how you feel, but you're actually tracking some of these other objective events as well that usually is going to give you enough information to recognize if you're breaking up every few days, if you're getting in fights every every day or every other day that's probably not healthy. But then beyond that, how is that there's no way you're feeling good in that dynamic. And so when you really stop to assess like am I in a healthy relationship, I would really encourage people to look at the patterns that are taking place in that relationship but then also take a look at what their role is in it. Because we're, we are a society of pointing fingers. We're a society of, we all have narcissistic exes, like everyone in the world wants to say that. Um, If we continue to do that, that's so disempowering because we never get a chance at a healthy relationship because we don't do our own work if it's everyone else's fault.
0: Yeah. I love that point. I think that's so important. And I, I feel like it's it's kind of the same thing with like the overuse of the word triggered. It's like, everybody's ex is a narcissist. It's like, okay, some people's exes, yes, are <laughs> narcissists, but not yeah. everyone's. And you know, there may have been other problems, but there also could be things that maybe you can work on and you can do better. And like, I'm the first to admit that like in the horrible relationship that I was in, like I was my worst self. I was a version of myself that I, didn't know was possible, like completely unrecognizable. And there are so many things I'm embarrassed that I said and did and like, but like, that's on me, you know, it's not all on him and I allowed him to treat me in a certain way. And I think that, you know, there's an aspect of like, I had to forgive myself for that. Um, But there's an aspect of like, I had to learn what things I was responsible for and what I, what choices I could make moving forward to not allow those to happen. So yeah, we can go around and like blame our exes and blame our partners all day long, but we're playing a role in it as well.
1: Yeah. And I love how you're saying that, that being the worst version of yourself, I can completely relate to that. And that started to be my self-awareness. So when we talked earlier, how can people start to become, you know, increase the self-awareness when you're starting to behave in a way that you don't even recognize or you're starting to tolerate things that if you really stopped to assess like six months ago, I would have been appalled by that and now it's just normal. Those are really good questions to ask as well. Um, because you're right, when we're in an unhealth- unhealthy relationship, not only are we being hurt and damaged, but we're also hurting and damaging. And that that is also not great for our core beliefs either when we become this person that we're embarrassed to be.
0: Yeah. And and that's something that's really hard to sit with. And it's, I know, just from my experience, like, I, I mean, I pushed away all my friends, because I was embarrassed. And I didn't want them to know the things I was doing and feeling and saying. And yeah. it's, it's just such a, it, it's a really hard thing to work through. But coming out the other end, like it is possible to work through it. And it's possible to end up in a really great thing after doing all of that work and it it is worth it. And I know it kind of goes back to like feeling stuck and and feeling trapped and like, you can't leave, but you can, and you can make that choice to make that change for yourself. Um, yeah. Yeah.
1: One of the recent posts that I did, if people are resonating with this topic, I, the one I did on toxic relationships, um, a few days ago, it's a thread of them. And in there, there are, um, a few different components of why we feel like it's impossible to leave and it, that really normalizes it because we want to just walk away we recognize we start to recognize it's unhealthy but there's often all of these components that stops that from happening so i really just want to normalize for everyone listening sometimes it's not that easy but if you gain awareness around what are those barriers that are keeping you stuck you can start to do something about those barriers and actually make those changes and so well, it's not easy, it is doable.
0: It is definitely possible. And I think one thing that's really important to note, just in my experience, like allowing people to be there for you through it um, yeah. is really, really powerful. And I was really fortunate where I had tried to push all my friends away because they all you know, pointed out that I wasn't in a good situation, but I didn't want yeah. to hear it. And um, I was really fortunate that they all stuck around and were there for me after. And so as much as, you know, sometimes you might, like I said, like feel embarrassed about things that you've done and like whatever role you played in it, like your people love you and want to see you happy and and want to support you. And so um, knowing that they are there and they will be there for you. Um, it's just, it's really powerful, but yeah, I'm scrolling through this post. I'm definitely gonna share this. Um, when this episode comes out, it's really, really great. There's a lot of really important stuff in here. Um, Wow. There's like a million more things I want to talk about.
1: <laughs> I know it's a never ending topic.
0: <laughs> ne- literally never ending. I'll come back um, and hang
1: out with you again in the future. We can talk more.
0: Perfect. <laughs> perfect. Well, okay. Before I let you go, um, this is my favorite question to ask at the end of every episode. And that is what is the best piece of dating or relationship advice you've ever received?
1: Oh boy. Um, Well, I think it probably comes back to the needy part that we were talking about earlier. I think that that was really powerful for me because I have never felt needy up until that relationship. And so to be reminded of that um, was really powerful for me. So I think that that really that best piece of advice is that it's okay to have needs and it's okay to have expectations of those needs being met Um, and our relational programming is going to tell us otherwise, the way I was raised taught me that needs are not okay. And so that popped up for me, but for me to recognize, no, they actually are okay. And I can expect that out of a loving partner. That's a pretty powerful thing.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I love that so, so much. Liz, thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for joining the Seeing Other People family. Where can everybody find you? Yes. Yeah, so
1: my website is evolvecounselingaz.com And then I'm on Instagram quite a bit at Dr. Dr. Elizabeth Fedrick. So yeah, that you is- guys have
0: to follow her on Instagram. Like her posts are incredible. And there's so much like, there's just so much to learn from them. I can't stress it enough. Go follow Dr. Elizabeth Fedrick. I'll of course tag her in the show notes and on the stories and all that. Thank you again so much. And to everyone who tuned in, thank you so much for listening. Don't forget to send this episode to a friend, to a coworker, to a sibling, a cousin, your group chat. There is definitely somebody you know that would learn so much and really benefit from hearing it. Don't forget to follow Elizabeth. If you loved the episode, share it on your story tag, Elizabeth tag seeing other people. And if you want to hear more and loved it and loved the podcast, give a five star rating and review. I don't know why I just called you Elizabeth 20 times after calling you Liz this whole time, but <laughs> That's okay. probably because I'm staring at your Instagram on my yep. computer screen. <laughs> That's okay. It happens. <laughs> thank you so much. And thank you again to everyone who listened and we'll see you next time.